Today, no matter where you are gathered, or how many you're gathered with, you are still His church. You are still His church. God's love hasn't changed. It is unending. It is infinite. It is deep. And believe when I say His love has power today. Power to free you, heal you, and to fill you. And restore you. God's mercy hasn't changed. He keeps no record of wrong. And His mercy is new every morning. The cross hasn't changed. It's still there for you and for me, no matter who you are or what you've done. This is what we need to be reminded of today. That wherever two or more are gathered in His name, Jesus is standing in our midst. This means the church hasn't changed. The church isn't a building. It is you and I together, with the Spirit of God living in us, living through us. So today, as we come together, as we worship. Let us be reminded that we are still His church. God is here with us right now. And no matter what your past looks like or how scary your future may be, you can trust God. You can trust God. And because He is here with us, we have everything we need today. We are still His church. We are still His church. We are still His church. you open up your Bibles uh, to Matthew uh, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 uh, verses 13 to 20. As I said earlier, we're going to launch and start our brand new series called Upon This Rock. Upon This Rock. So in Matthew chapter 16, uh, we're going to see Peter's confession here and proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the chosen one. And as we do that, um, I don't know how many movie buffs are out there um, in our online church community, how many of you guys love movies, but in the history of cinema, you know, there have been many great origin stories. In other words, there's um, a lot of beautifully uh, narrated storytelling where it talks of, where it depicts the start of a character's origin. And, you know, one of the best there is, is Godfather Part 2 by Francis Ford Coppola. Now, Godfather Part 2 is actually one of those few where the, the sequel is just as good or might even be better than the original one. And um, in Godfather Part 2, uh, it narrates the story of a young uh, Vito Andolini where he journeys back um, from Paris Island at the turn of the 19th century. And his last name gets mistaken at the port. Uh, instead of Andolini, they, they, his last name was given of the town that he was at, which is Corleone, right? The Corleone family. And um, in Italy, uh, the Godfather Part Two it chronicles how young Vito Corleone went on to become the most powerful uh, crime boss in the city of New York. Now, this is considered one of the uh, best origin stories, but also one of the best films of all time. Like I'm willing to, 
uh, go outside and fight about this that uh, Godfather 2 is one of the best top 10 top 5 uh, best movies and origin stories of all time but as we start our Upon This Rock series the church also has an origin story that's to say that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and specifically Acts, it tells us how the church began. Today's passage in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, it gives us a genesis or the beginning or the origin of how the church was built and the foundation that was laid. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. We'll read from the ESV version. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, take note of that, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. That's where we get the name of the title. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 20. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so, Father, we look to you as the head of the church, as the founder of the church, as the origin and the foundation of the church. Upon the confession that you alone are the chosen one, that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of Man, the eternal, everlasting, you're the Son of God, this King, everlasting King, that upon that confession, Lord, you're going to build your church, you're going to build your people. Lord, we thank you that, that not only did you come to save us as individuals, as individual people, but Lord, ultimately you came to save a people unto yourself called the church. And so Father, I pray that our hearts, uh, we would have a renewed vision and a renewed passion for you and for the bride of Christ. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, New Testament uh, scholar, uh, Frederick Dale uh, Bruner says, that in modern scholarship, this text that we just read in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, these eight verses is the single most discussed in the whole Gospel of Matthew. Uh, it's the single most discussed uh, text in the whole Gospel. Uh, one is because it has the first confession of Jesus as the Christ. And particularly, this alone in the whole New Testament has the important and controversial word of Peter the rock where he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and where Peter also seems to have been especially honored. And in this text, it speaks for, for the first time this New Testament gift of the keys of the kingdom, 
where Jesus says, hey, uh, he also says this in Matthew 18, 18 to 20, and John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23, that whatever you bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Whoever you forgive on earth will be forgiven. So there's this um, dualistic dynamic that's happening where we have, we've been given uh, spiritual authority upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ. Uh, so here's the uh, big idea. Here's the big idea for us today. Would you text this into your notes and type it in? Jesus Christ is the origin and the foundation of the church. Plain and simple. If you could walk away with anything today, is that you would um, get not only in your head, but also in your heart, that Jesus is the Christ that he is the Messiah and he is the origin. He's the genesis and the foundation of the church. He's the, uh, by origin, I mean he is the point or the place where something begins or arises or it's derived. And he is the foundation. And the word foundation is from the Latin fundure, means to lay base. That upon Jesus Christ and his lordship and that he's his messiahship, that it is the foundation and the origin of the church. I think Ephesians would say that Jesus is the head of the church. Now, just last week, we celebrated seven years as a church. And I, with, along with Renee and a, a, a team, it takes a team, doing church as a team, uh, we planted uh, New Hope Community Church. But Jesus is the origin and he's the foundation of the church, not John Dangannon. It's not even Pastor Wayne Cordero, who at that time, he was the, the head campus at New Hope Oahu. He was a head campus pastor. He was a senior pastor and we were satellite. He's not the origin or the foundation of the church. Jesus Christ is. It's not even our denomination which was started by Amy Simple McPherson back in the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles in the 1920s. It's not, if you go back, it's not Martin Luther, right, who protested against the Catholic Church, and we are Protestants, and by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is not, Martin Luther is not the head of the church. It's not even the early church fathers. It's not even... Um, Apostle Peter, okay, as, as um, uh, our Roman Catholic uh, friends, uh, as, they, as much as they would push that, uh, Jesus, that Peter is the head of the church upon this rock, Peter the rock, Petra rock, uh, I will build my church, and that they would um, you know, push for uh, papal lineage uh, through the Pope. That's how you trace it. That... Peter is not the foundation or the origin of the church. You know who it is? It's Jesus. Upon this rock, what rock? What is that rock? The antecedent of that rock refers to the confession of Jesus. The proclamation and confession that Jesus is the, is the Messiah, that Jesus himself is God. He's the promised and awaited king. That is the foundation of of the church. 
Now, originally when I was planning for 2023 and I was doing my sermon synopsis or series synopsis of, I was just going to focus and concentrate on NHCC of New Hope Community Church. And I even had a a sermon series title called Renew the Vision. And for the whole month of February, after we just did seven years, I was just going to focus on, hey, we're a gospel-centered, Bible-based, relationship-focused church. And for each week where I was just going to, we really love Jesus, what does, which is worship, right? The great commandment. And we disciple people, which is the great commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And um, we are going to serve the community, which is our calling. And we were, I was going to go in a microscope and focus in on who we are as a church. But the more I got to uh, pray through prayer and fasting and studying, instead of going micro, into our, in our church, I thought uh, the Lord led me to focus on the macro, the big picture of the body of Christ. In other words, we're not just focused on my little, my little world or my little microcosm of, of my life, but we're going to focus on the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the advancement of God's kingdom, and how we play a part of God's um, you know, the God's meta story, right? Or the meta narrative, rather, this overarching narrative of God saving the world. And we get to be a part of that when we confess Jesus as Christ. And uh, before we get to our one application point, I just have two um, observations. The first is this. Would you write this down? That the context of idolatry. What do I mean by that? Why did I put that down? Because in the beginning of our verse, in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of what? Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Why is this the context of idolatry? Well, Caesarea Philippi is the northernmost part border of Israel. It is literally the border from Israel to the rest of the world. Now, uh, Caesarea Philippi was a city that was given to Herod the Great by the great emperor Caesar Augustus. Caesarea, Caesar, Philippi. Philip, um, Herod's son Philip, he rebuilt the city and he changed it to Caesarea Philippi. Now, here's something to note that in Caesarea Philippi, where Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? There are many uh, temples in Caesarea Philippi. It was almost like the Mecca of idolatry. They had temples dedicated to the Syrian god Baal. They had a Greek god and they had a temple uh, for the Greek god Pan. And that's why it was called Panion before. And now it's uh, Banias. They had a temple for the Roman godhead of Caesar. In other words, they had Caesar worship where uh, the emperor was worshipped and and adored, and the the emperor was thought of as a god. So it's in this context and in this background of history and splendor that Jesus asked, in light of all these 
gods, quote-unquote, around me? Who do people say that I am? And some people said, and the disciples said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, or some say you're um, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus here, um, you know, it's Jesus, he, he preferred to teach the kingdom of God and to heal and to bring his disciples gradually into conclusions. This is one of the few very rare instances where Jesus self-discloses his identity of who he is. And it's the only time Jesus asks his disciples directly, who do you think I am? Do you really think I am the chosen one? Just like the, the you know, hit series, The Chosen. So when Jesus had asked his disciples, who others and they themselves say that he is, Jesus' inquiry about his identity is made in comparison to all the false idols. And here is, you know... Um, I want us to be in the culture of meeting in small groups. And so I'm going to have a community builder questions so that we could have small groups and fellowship. And when you meet with your uh, brothers and sisters, um, th this is the question that we're going to start having small groups in, uh, in a couple months. But these are the questions that I want you guys to like. Uh, false worship and idolatry persist in the church today. Uh, what do you worship? And who are your gods? So this question of who is Jesus? Is he just a good moral teacher? Is he a lunatic? Is he a liar? Or is he Lord? Is he just uh, one of the prophets? And there's all these idols that surrounding and the disciples knew that. That's why Peter says you are the Christ, the son of the living God. There's these dead gods, these idols all around us, temples all around us, but you are the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You know, instead of bowing down before and praying to gods made of stone today, today we worship money, status, popularity, power, uh, sex, our country, this Christian nationalism, our constitution, our political parties. As Christians, we're called to recognize idols in our own lives and lay them down so that we might worship the one true and living God. Um, an idol, it's not wood or stone or a graven image, but an idol could be something like your spouse or relationship. You know, I uh, knew this guy, you know, he seemed like a solid Christian uh, believer and, um, and uh, you know, he was married to his wife for a good uh, 10, 12, 15 years anyways. And then I just come to find out, you know, his, his wife had to go to the mainland for a vacation for like six days. And uh, this dude, every day that his wife was gone, he would FaceTime her and he would cry. And like, I miss you so much. What, what can I do without you? I'm like, whoo, that's some idolatry right there. Where your whole identity and your whole countenance and your whole 
um, joy is found in your spouse. You know, that's pretty, that's pretty telling. Uh, I, for myself, like a couple years ago, um, I got like a, a 1990, 1999 Toyota Land Cruiser. And I just felt, I've always wanted a 4Runner. I ended up with a Land Cruiser, but I started taking, I created an Instagram account just for my Land Cruiser. And we would go camping and we would go off-roading and we'd go to the beach, we'd go to trails, we'd go to parks, we'd go to Kaena Point, we'd go to Peacock Flats. And, you know, I started just kind of every day, ooh, what can I do to my Land Cruiser? I put a snorkel in my Land Cruiser. I put a lift on it. I put, you know, the, the awning, you know, so that I was thinking of putting a rooftop tent. I was thinking of putting a modular, you know, roof rack and doing all these things. And I, it just, I got consumed with it. I couldn't help but think about it. And then I ultimately, I just like, man, this has become my idol. And I just had to let it go, yeah? So, uh, Jesus asked, and money, and sex, and power, and popularity, and prominence, and influence, and these false idols around us, who is Jesus to you? Is he just like one of your things that you do on the weekend that's a checklist? Or is Jesus Lord? Is he Christ? Is he God? Uh, here's a second observation. You cannot confess and proclaim the Lordship of Jesus apart from God. You cannot confess and you can't proclaim the Lordship of Jesus apart from God. Where do we see that? In verse 14, and they said, which is the disciples, say, hey, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter responded and said, You are the Christ, the Son of God who is alive. You notice Peter did not say, for example, um, I think you are the Christ as if that's his personal conviction or his uh, opinion, that it's something that's uh, subjective to him. Uh, neither does Peter say, I mean, for us, as your disciples, as your followers, this is our truth, this is our perspective, this is our reality, but we think for us you are the Christ, as though this simply is a Christian opinion or it's something that's relative. I mean, for other people, there may be other Christs or other saviors, an issue um, that's vexing a lot of our denominations. But Peter quite boldly says, you are the Christ. It is where this confession is gladly believed in with his heart and so confessed with his mouth that the church rises and the foundation and the confession that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, what Peter does here, or what Matthew does, because um, I don't think uh, Gentiles, non-Jews, would understand these technical terms like son of man, right? Uh, or so he says that you are the Messiah, okay? That you are this promised king, that you yourself are God. 
And Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but what? But my Father in heaven. Listen, you guys, you cannot confess and proclaim the Lordship of Jesus apart from God. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It takes the work of God. It takes divine intervention because Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You know what dead means? Dead means dead. We were totally incapacitated. We were totally incapable of responding to God unless and responding to the gospel and say yes to Jesus. See, we could sit here in church and we could go through the motion. You could attend church like our church for the last couple of years or months or weeks. You could go through church and have the best worship music, whether it's Maverick City music or Elevation or Hillsong. You could have um, John Piper preach every sermon every Sunday. You could even have um, Apostle Peter himself preach to you or Apostle Paul or even Jesus teach you and uh, disciple you. But not unless God intervenes and regenerates your heart and speaks light to your darkened heart and darkened understanding. Not unless there's divine intervention where God has mercy on you. Then you're able to respond and see the glory of the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ. It is all God. And we could go to the best church and sit in service, but not unless God does something. I don't know if you've ever experienced sitting through church, people are weeping and crying and lifting up their hands and people bring their Bibles and you're just not feeling it. You're just not getting it. Why are there people like this? And God has to intervene and make you born again. Monogenao, First Peter 1, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who caused us to be born again. And this is what, um, this, is what the, um, this is what God did to Peter. He revealed to him, Jesus is the Christ. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So plead God for mercy. Get on your knees, beg for grace. You're just, a, you're, you're just a beggar in search of food. And Jesus is the living bread. And here's the concluding point as we wrap this up. The church is called to proclaim and worship Christ alone as Lord. The church is called to proclaim and worship Christ alone as Lord. So just like Peter was called to proclaim and worship Jesus through the work of God the Father. We too, we must proclaim and worship Christ the Lord. And when we do that, when we confess with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ and that God raised him from the dead, 
we shall be saved. And not only that, but upon that confession, the Lord would build His church. And listen, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell will not prevail. Have you guys thought about that phrase, the gates of hell will not prevail? Have you ever thought of gates? Let me ask it another way. Are gates offensive or defensive? When you see those war movies, right? Whether it's gladiator, people on the offense, do they carry gates? No. It's people who are attacked, they're, uh, they have the gates. And the gates are defensive from offensive attacks. Does that make sense? And what I'm saying is, upon the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the church will, will be built upon that, and even hell cannot contain, defensively, hell cannot contain sin, death, darkness, cancer. It cannot contain the kingdom of God advancing. And that's some good news. That once you confess that Jesus is the Christ, that God will transform you from the inside out. That it's going to change the trajectory of your family, of your children, of your children's children. If you go through your genogram, you go through your family history of, of brokenness, of alcoholism, of marital infidelity, of unfaithfulness, of dysfunction. But once you confess that Jesus is the Christ through the power of God intervening, opening your eyes to the truth of the gospel, making you born again, once you confess that, then the kingdom of God, it advances, it moves forward, so much so that the gates cannot contain, cannot handle, that the gates of hell is broken forth and there's stronghold and there's breakthrough that happens because of Jesus. And this morning, we have um, a testimony from one of our dear sisters about how as she gave her life to Jesus, that um, everything changed for her. Let's take a look. Aloha New Hope Community Church. My name is Kaluhi Ka'apana. Um, I have been a member of this church since 2018. Um, and today I'm going to share with you my testimony and the goodness and grace of God um, in my life. So to introduce myself, I am a mom of a 16-month-old and I am also an elementary school teacher. Um, I was born and raised in Hilo on the Big Island um, in a big family. I have six siblings. My brother is the oldest and then there are six girls after him and in that order I am number six so not quite the baby but almost. Um, so the we had a pretty traumatic childhood. Um, my dad was physically and verbally abusive, mostly to my mom, but also to my siblings. And I remember for some reason, he could never lay his hands on me. Um, there were times where I thought he was going to, and for some reason, something had stopped him from doing so in that moment. And I couldn't see it at the time, but 
where I'm at currently in my walk with Jesus, I know now that that was the Lord protecting me from that abuse. Um, and that the Lord was always present with me, even in the darkest of times. When I was in first grade, um, my mom kind of hit her breaking point and she took me and my two sisters because we were the only three left in the house at that time. All my other siblings were moved out and had started their families. Um, so the four of us left and for a little while we bounced around from house to house, um, staying with friends, family, uh, friends of family. Um, and then we stayed at a women's shelter for a little bit. And I remember at that time we had to be very secretive and quiet. Um, within the year we found a house to rent. So there was a little bit more stability, but it still had to be very hush hush. I remember on the rides over to visitations with my dad, reminding my little sister, like, remember, no matter what, don't say anything that's gonna give dad any idea where we're living. Um, and for such a young child to give their younger sister that talk, now as who I am now as a mom, as a teacher, really breaks my heart. Um, but I remember when we started to feel a little bit more comfortable, my mom would take us, started taking us to church. And I think she really wanted to rebuild that foundation in our family because we were going through such a hard time at such a young age. There were so many traumatic events that were happening back to back. Um, so I remember my mom really trying to rebuild that foundation for us. And the following year after we had left my dad, now I'm in second grade, my older sis oldest sister of all my sisters had passed away. And she was diabetic, so she was sickly our whole childhood. Um, but I was very close with her, so it was pretty hard on me when she passed. Um, and my dad, actually went back to church after my sister had passed away and I remember he was trying to rebuild his relationship with the Lord at that time um, and I remember feeling a glimmer of hope that maybe he could be a better person and maybe our family could be less broken um, but the following year when I was in third grade my dad passed away and he was also diabetic and sickly um, but I remember when he was at his sickest at nine years old praying please Lord save my dad he he's trying to go to church he's trying to be a better person please save him um, but he had passed on and being so young and having such little guidance and help um, I remember being very angry with God and feeling like I don't want to go to church because why are all these bad things happening to me at such a young age when I I'm a good girl I do my homework because I was nine years old so those are the things I was thinking um, I listen to my mom and dad I obey why are all these things happening to me I don't deserve this um, and I remember just feeling very angry for a long time and 
when I started middle school, I started to process all these feelings from my childhood of everything happening back to back and I started to become very anxious and have anxiety and I remember looking for outlets to deal with this anxiety and this pain that I was feeling um, and that went on through high school um, until my senior year I met Kalani, my fiance and I was not looking for a relationship I was just trying to do me i wasn't looking to rebuild my relationship with the lord um and i was in a really dark place and feeling lost and just trying to find where my path in life was but i remember what really attracted me to kalani was how inspiring his faith was in god and in jesus and how connected he was to his family and I knew that that was an example of someone that I wanted to build a life with because he was a man of God who treated women with respect and that's the kind of life that I wanted to build for my future family. And so fast forward to today, Kalani and I have a beautiful daughter. We are getting married next month and I know that I should be a statistic and I should be an alcoholic i should be involved in all these horrible things i should be in an abusive relationship but by the grace of god i am not by the grace of god i am with a man who treats me with respect and shows our daughter how a man should treat her and who is helping me to build our house on the rock that is christ what man went, meant for evil god will make for good and i truly believe that that my testimony reflects that that all this pain and all this hurt god turned into something so beautiful um, and i'm reminded of the verse from john chapter 10 the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but i have come that they may have life and have it to the full and i'm so grateful that the lord saved me that by the grace of god i have a beautiful family and that i'm here today with an amazing church community. Um, yeah, mahalo for listening to my testimony. God is good. Amen, wasn't that amazing? What an awesome testimony. <sighs> Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not, the gates of hell will not prevail against it, amen? Amen, well, uh, if you guys get, get your cup and your bread ready, for I received from the Lord, which I now deliver unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks, he blessed it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat of this in remembrance of me. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, remember your broken body. Remember, Lord, that uh, you're forsaken at the cross so that we would be accepted, that you were despised, so that we would be loved and that your body was broken so that we could live in wholeness. And so, Lord, I just pray as we eat this bread that you give strength, you give us grace, oh Lord. You give us spiritual uh, nourishment and sustenance that we could be your people, oh Lord. And that we would love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Forgive us, Lord, um, for not believing in you, forgive us, Lord, for doubting you, and I just 
put on faith this morning. Fill us as your people, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and eat of the bread. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Drink of this as often as you eat. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the cup together. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this Communion Sunday and for the launch of our Upon This Rock uh, sermon series. I just wanted to remind you that Sunday, March 5th, you join us by Church by the Bay. All right, and uh, have an amazing week, you guys. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you his peace. Amen. Love you guys. Have an amazing week.